Welcome back to The Table Women, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. I'm Sarah DeForest. And I'm Victoria Banks. It's season three, and we've got so many wonderful conversations and creators of all kinds to share with you. You know the drill. Pull up a chair and get nice and comfy, because everyone is welcome and everyone deserves a seat at The the table. Table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't don't let them stop. Stop you, don't don't let them stop you. Nell Maynard is a country and pop songwriter in Nashville. She grew up in Colorado riding horses and went on to earn a BA in biochemistry. Recently, Nell co-wrote Chris Hausman's viral TikTok hit, Blue Neck, which was featured in Rolling Stone, Good Morning America, and New York Times. When not writing, she can be found running with her dog or getting dirty at the barn. Chris Hausman is a country artist whose pop-infused melodies and soulful vocals showcase an authenticity made possible by his eclectic musical tastes and Kansas farm upbringing. Chris is a multi-instrumentalist who uses his array of talents to bridge the gap between commercial pop country music and a modern, inclusive, queer world. The Table Women is proud to present Nell Maynard and Chris Hausman. Thank you guys so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. We're really excited to talk about this song. It's for Victoria and I, it was such a unique song that we, I mean, obviously country has really never heard anything like this. We'll include links to everything in the episode description for all of our listeners. Please maybe try and go listen if you haven't already before you uh, finish this episode. But for both of you guys, can you give us a little breakdown of how you guys each got into the business and what it is you do? I grew up doing country music um, in Western Kansas in a very small town. But then basically like, and I've been in Nashville for a little over 12 years now, which is quite a while. Um, But I spent about the first half of that not really pursuing music anymore because I had also come out of the closet at 18 and I didn't really see this like position to be able to do both of those things at the same time, be out gay person and do country music so I kind of put music on the back burner and just lived life Uh, and then eventually just I think with age and life I just kind of was like oh yeah maybe there's like you know a spot for me here so so the last few years I've been uh, you know more actively pursuing the country music artist uh, career and this is my fourth song I've put out uh, Blue Neck co-wrote with Nell and it's awesome to kind of put my heart on the line a little bit more uh with this song so yeah that's that's pretty much it how I came to this career well I think it's actually a pretty common story I was a teenager writing bad poetry and then one day there was a melody with it and then I was kind of off to the races and I was you know 15 16 writing songs learned to play guitar picked up piano again uh and then had a band in high school we played shows around we played a bunch of like coffee shops alone in college and then uh after college I actually briefly went to medical school and then left orientation week because I don't want to be a doctor uh good good job little Nell uh so after that I was like 
oh, I know exactly what I want to do. <laughs> I did just torched my whole vision for my future, and I was like, yes, now I get to do what I want to do. There's something amazing about a blank slate. I had a similar experience mm. in my life, and sometimes you have to get all the expectations off the table and just set it on fire. That is one of my favorite Sarah Bareilles lyrics. To get yourself a new life, you have to give the other one away. So I moved to Nashville a few years after that and hit the ground running, uh, just writing a ton of songs with anybody who would write with me. And that was three and a half years ago. And how did you two meet each other? It was actually through Holly Chester. Um, we're both affiliated with the PRO ASCAP and Holly a few years ago, which is hard to remember. That, I don't know. It, it's But it was a, a couple of years ago, at least, um, that she just connected us over email like, you two should write. And, and we wrote a pop song. And we wrote a pop song because I was so still kind of, not closeted life-wise, but like as a country artist, I was not really pursuing that. We wrote a pop song. You were closeted in the genre, which is actually such a common thing in Nashville. I don't think people who aren't songwriters or artists know, but like there is a whole section of the town that's just like really trying to fight so hard their natural instincts because they want to go with what's uh, what they think is is a uh, marketable I guess but continue Chris no exactly exactly it's so funny because I've never heard people like talk about that and I didn't know that and it's like yeah not a thing people talk about um but yeah we met through that and we wrote one song just the two of us and then now I guess it was like a little over a year ago that we wrote guilty as sin and I think that was kind of our reconnecting of like oh oh yeah <laughs> like we're good at songwriting and we yeah that was really the well first together. country song we wrote together and yeah. i love that song i'm yeah i me still too. go back to it <laughs> me too and it'll be a, it'll be on my ep that i'm working on right now so so what's the story of the day that you wrote blue neck tell us about the conversation that you had and, and what it was like that day I was uh, sitting at my kitchen table it was march 11th so everything was still remote and Chris and Tommy Kratzer and I started writing middle of last year. Chris and Tommy were already a pair and wrote great together, and Chris thought I might be a good addition, so he had pulled me in. And the three of us had written a handful of songs, six or seven. So, you know, it was just another morning write over Zoom in a, an endless quarantine year. And Tommy played us a couple tracks he had. He had a few he was really excited about, a few newer ones. Um, and he pulled out this older one and he's like, yeah, nobody's done anything with this, but I'll play it for y'all anyway. And Chris and I zoomed in and we were like, that one, that's the one. We want to write to that. <laughs> you know, it has a great uh, sort of a hybrid country vibe, super good groove. We were like, that's where it's at. So we started throwing out ideas and Chris said, I have this word, blue neck, that is a word I made up for what I am, for how I feel and the you know, quote unquote, conflicting elements of my identity, which actually we're finding don't have to be conflicting at all. Absolutely. Well, I think it's a really interesting thing that for us, we as creatives all understand that sometimes magic happens and you don't even notice it till afterwards. But this song has so many wonderful aspects to it. I mean, y'all means all and first country song to ever publicly publicly say Black Lives Matter and championing LGBTQIA plus rights and all of these amazing things that really have been a 
forefront at the forefront of our industry this past year and really grappling with our history with it our current state and where we might want to go or some might not want to go um was that a conversation in the room how i guess honest you wanted to be or were there any fears about being so honest and and just coming out and saying it it, it was it definitely was and i think we kind of decided i remember saying in the and it, it's funny because it's it's hard to like imagine that this was over zoom still but um but we were actively talking about about that and like not wanting to exclude anyone we wanted to include everyone uh was like a, a thing that we were saying and not bash like conservative people by any means or but at the same time like shine a little spotlight on oh yeah there's all these other people <laughs> that aren't talked about or these other viewpoints you know that aren't talked about in country music but at the same time we felt like it was pretty um okay to do this by making it an identity song um to not sound too preachy which it, it is completely true and Nell was so brilliant and like okay Chris like you know I mean she just kind of right off the bat was like grew up with cornfields in every direction like that's so true to my life and every and by keeping it like an identity song uh made it you know that made it just that an identity song but at the same time like I, th I think we kind of thought like okay this is gonna be like, let's do this, let's go there, and it's completely okay to do because I have, like, the ability to do that because it's about my life. Never, I don't think any of us saw, we definitely knew there was something special, but I don't think any of us thought, with it being such an identity song, that so many other people would relate to it like um, they have, um, and that it would resonate with people the way it has. But at the same time, if you think about it, there's so many people that even if they don't live in like a red state blue neck territory um or a small town right now maybe they grew up in a small town and they live in a city now that was you know conservative or i don't know but it, it's just been really cool to see the reaction so well it's kind of a beautiful alignment of the stars to think about how like, i always feel like songs come from some source sort of outside us that's bigger than we are and so, and sometimes it feels like they're waiting to be written and they need to be delivered into the world and it's like you had you have this identity and this story and you're willing to own it for everyone in order to deliver this message and that's a pretty powerful thing that that all lined up and and you were willing to take that leap do you feel like it did it take a while in your life to get to the point where you were comfortable putting your true self out into your music like that? I know you talked about coming out at 18. What was that journey like for you to actually have music hold that space for you too? Nell, I want to hear your response to that too, because just because you're not the artist, you play out a lot. And as a songwriter, you're in so many rooms. And as a member of the LGBTQIA plus community, that in and of itself, even if you're not the artist, is still a very big deal in this town and really hasn't been accepted up until recently and so i think that i want to hear your experience and your story on that too yeah so go ahead chris um yeah i it definitely took me i, I was just telling someone the other day that i was doing a little interview with that it probably took me i would say a decade to to just like 
I mean, it takes a long time anyway for anybody, regardless of if you're an artist or, but just as a person coming out, um, I, it takes anybody a long time and it takes their own time. Um, I think especially for somebody that grew up, like when I came out at 18, I became the first person I knew that was openly gay. <laughs> so, um, so that definitely took a while just in like in and of its own self. But it's been in the last like few years that I was even comfortable to like pursue country music. But then in the last really year that um, I was kind of willing to go there with my artistry and make that more public. And I think just honestly, the last year has been really rough for everybody, but I think it's one of those perks that kind of came with the opportunity to just like sit back and watch the world happen um, and slow things down and observe and think about things that really matter and things that don't. And um, I mean, yeah, not to kind of piggyback on the coattails of like a lot of things that happened, but it definitely made a huge transformation for me. Um, and I think that that, I don't think Blue Neck would have happened without that. Or it wouldn't have happened as quickly. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like the year opened the door to some conversations that people weren't having publicly before. And now there's a place to, to talk about it. And I, that's that's pretty powerful. It did feel like a shift, definitely. Oh, for sure, yeah. While Chris was talking, I had some time to think about my answer. I am a really heart-driven person. And if something doesn't feel good, it's basically not a choice. I just can't do it. And I never had a time where I asked myself if I would pretend to be straight. <laughs> it's just, it makes me laugh to say. I mean, and that's lucky. That's about circumstance. I was born in 1991 and not 1891. <laughs> or not 1971, you know? So by the time I was an out adult pursuing music, it was so out of the question for me to let people think I was straight. <laughs> and it's very uncomfortable. I don't, I don't like it when people do. I want people to know that I'm gay right away. <laughs> I, I come out all the time, over and over, as soon as I can with new people. So as far as what the trade-off might have been, as in like the cons to coming out. Um, I always refer back to a Kate McKinnon quote. She was young. She was, I think, in her early, maybe mid-20s, very start of her career. And someone asked her that same question. Some, she was on a show called The Big Gay Sketch Show, and someone was like, are you worried that now that you're so publicly out, it'll limit your career options? And she said, if I only do gay shit for the rest of my life, I'm happy with that. And I feel that way so strongly. I'm like, if, if writing with and for gay artists and being out as a writer, uh, you know, limits the audience I'm able to reach, that's still the art I'm interested in making, rather than making something that doesn't feel true to me for millions of people who think I'm someone I'm not. I also have, I have to add in too that like, I so, 
it didn't seem like an intentional thing at the time, but I've, I had the idea, the title Blue Neck, the word that I invented in my head for months, um, just sitting in my notes. And it's not a coincidence that I felt comfortable bringing that idea up to Nell and, and Tommy, who's the other co-writer. And he he's yeah, a straight white guy, but he's very <laughs> open-minded. And um, But it really did, like, having a... A queer woman voice in this like had to happen and like I it was so rare for me to be like in a room that I felt that comfortable because I, I think I remember being like okay guys this is like a crazy idea but let's go the best songs start with that the disclaimer of like I could be crazy but <laughs> Well, and that's, I think, I, I, I really want to hear about the response that you guys have had. But Chris, that comment really brings us back to one of the reasons we started this podcast. Because even though you're a, a man in this industry and you yourself are part of a community that has been really marginalized for a long time, you're still using your voice to uplift other people and bring up not just diversity in one respect but in as many respects as you possibly can and for for women especially in country music it's difficult to get in the room sometimes it's difficult to be trusted and it's difficult even when we're in that room to be asked for our voice as opposed to writing from a male perspective and obviously this song and this situation was very different from the start and not everyone has those specific experiences but from the people that we've talked to, that experience of of really not being able to even use their female perspective in a song has been, um, you know, only accepted until recently. My, I guess my question is for both of you, what does allyship look like for you guys? And then also after, after that, um, what has the response to the song been? Good, bad, amazing, funny, whatever it has been. What has your experience been? For some reason, the first answer that popped into my head is like, you know, of how to be a good ally is if if you feel at all threatened by someone else's liberation, something very helpful for me is to picture yourself on a ladder and then look down and then that's the person right below you. Don't kick them in the face. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have pages and pages of notes and thoughts on this. But I think a, a, a product, a byproduct of Blue Neck um, and the thing that we and things like this podcast are doing, um, I have a whole theory on the importance of exposure. Um, I think that a lot of people unfortunately require an emotional or personal attachment or exposure to some sort of oppression and enable to understand it in any capacity so and a lot of people especially a lot of just straight white people straight white men honestly don't have exposure to that in their everyday lives so anything we can do to create exposure and a personal emotional connection with those people is amazing i think that's like the my goal in life um and like in country music creating exposure to people from walks of life different than your own is um is like the goal so yeah allyship wise for me which is not so it's it's funny i love that you're asking these questions because it's certainly not a thing 
that's a typical like country Nashville co-writing experience thing that's like a conscious thought of like how am I gonna incorporate allyship into my co-writes every week you know but but I think it naturally happens for people like Nell and I um, who want to who just naturally include that in their everyday lives but I think for me like even before I was willing to kind of go there with my like artist stuff um, I definitely I always and I've, I've said this for years that I I've I love at least at least having one female perspective in the writing room I feel like I, I'm like uncomfortable if I'm writing with two other guys I rarely it rarely happens and I don't like when it happens honestly that's really interesting that's it's interesting that you say that yeah um because I do feel like uh women even if it's a song that's written from a male perspective totally male voice women can sometimes catch things that are coming across in a different way than you are wanting them to come across a hundred percent and and like I don't even mean for this to like but I, I feel I, I literally feel like attention to detail is a thing that I have just like observing co-writes um, attention to detail that men don't all of course I'm not saying that men are incapable or that it's like an only female thing but like it's it's a pattern I've seen uh, attention to detail which obviously matters when you're when every single word matters in a song attention to detail obviously matters too and just having like a perspective um, I've literally been in all male rights and people throw out lines and I've had to be like um no that's that's super rapey like let's not say that <laughs> like Yes. Like, no, we can't say that. And they're just, like, oblivious to that fact. And um, so having that, like, not rapey perspective is <laughs> super important in country. And, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, I love that. And I think that's so interesting because even though we're talking about country music right now with you as an artist, I cut my teeth in country, but I specialize in pop, hip-hop, all of that stuff. And um, being the woman, usually the only woman in a lot of hip-hop rights is very interesting because it's simultaneously the spaces that sometimes I felt the most included and seen on the flip side, also the situation that I've felt the most like, oh. Well, there's a lot more just let it let it all hang out, sexual content in pop, yes. Uh, yeah, well, and I've also, I've experienced the thing for me that's the marker of like, ooh, I'm gonna definitely need to like prepare myself is the way that they refer to women just in like the pre, like, hey, we're looking to write this song. I encounter a lot of artists or teams that will say like, oh, you know, like females this and like bitches be doing that and like can't trust. And like no, not once anywhere has anyone said girl or woman or person like it's all females 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 and for me like I think it's so interesting because I personally as the writer for artists sometimes have to be like pick and choose my battle like is this the one that I want to be like hey maybe don't say that because as a woman I would turn it off and be like that guy's an asshole <laughs> but you know you also like to have a guy in the room be the one to say that um we've talked about this with our episode with Todd Cassidy he Todd said a lot of the same things women in the industry say but as a man he never gets questioned about it and so I just want to say that I think that's such an amazing thing that you whether or not it's just natural or conscious the fact that that's a discussion that you're having with other men in the room um, really I think means a lot for 
changing their perspective, but also to the women that you work with. I think, you know, whether or not we experience it or just hear about it or don't even know, like it definitely makes it more comfortable for us and allows us to do our job better. So that's awesome. Yeah. And and one quick more thing on that, like it definitely didn't start as like a conscious thing, but it gave me some clout to when I realized like, oh yeah, I can use the clout of like, I'm the artist in the room and like even just the word girl, aside from the fact that it doesn't apply to my life, which is fine, you know, in a romantic way. Um, but like girl and it's excessive overuse in country music just drives me crazy anyway. The belittling? Yeah, yeah, belittling and the objectifying and the, yeah, oh, and yeah, especially the belittling. And um, so, so I've been able to for years be like, because uh, it's just, it's a filler word for so many, because it's, it's nice to have those like one syllable filler words, like Nell could attest to this too, like, we love a, a just or like a, a guess or so girl can fill that in nicely. Um, but I've just been able to for years kind of be like, well, I would never cut this song if it says girl. But, you know, if you guys are really passionate about this saying girl right there, cool. <laughs> but I've just not used pronouns in my songs for uh, years. So, Chris, something I think is so amazing that you do in Blue Neck is that uh, you you have a leg in each camp, like to use oppression theory language uh, in both the target group and the agent group. You know, you say, I'm gay and I'm in country music and that's an oppressed group. And you also, you also speak from the perspective of a white cis man. And that is really powerful. The whole song isn't, I am oppressed. And the whole song isn't, I am in an agent group. It is both. It is so complex and it, and it, and it gets both of the, those in a way that's just really poignant and impossible to argue with because it's your truth. When you say, can't a country kid want to see the glass ceiling shatter? That is a beautiful use of your privilege and a beautiful way to be an ally to women as a cisgender man. It really gets me. I am a raging feminist to my very core. And when men, when cis men or trans men, when men at all, when people with the privilege of being considered a man put themselves in the trenches with women and care about our battles, it's really moving to me. I was very moved by that line too. That really hit me. Oh, uh, well, that, that was, it was such a, I mean, so collaborative. Obviously it's, it could maybe be easy to take credit. Like, oh yeah, I said that I sang those words. But it was so collaborative. It was so well-crafted collaboratively. Yeah, we needed a matter rhyme is the thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, honestly, we knew that, we knew that, like, um, we knew that we wanted to go there and say, like, Black Lives Matter in the bridge in a way that was, like, the way it came out. Yeah, so we needed a matter rhyme. Discovering that must have been, like, the best discovery moment ever. Discovering that rhyme. Oh my god, glass ceiling shatter rhymes with Black Lives Matter. Yeah, it was perfect. Oh, that's great. It goes to show that even though it's sometimes considered, like, a serious song, and it, and it is in certain ways, when you create, especially with your friends, you're just kind of hanging out. You're having fun. You're. It comes from, like, even though you have the intention of that. I think it's 
absolutely hilarious and amazing that you're like, we just needed a rhyme. And it turned out to be like the perfect thing. Um, But, you know, going from all of that, what has the response been? Because you guys have been covered for this song and and it blew up on TikTok. Chris posted it, posted him singing it um, and about being a blue neck. And it's been picked up by Good Morning America and Rolling Stone, I think, like so many different places. And it's become its own like tidal wave across the country, not just country music. So what has the response been on kind of all ends of the spectrum? Pretty unbelievable to me. (laughs) Uh, I called my mom the other morning and she was like, how you doing? Did you mow the lawn? Um, That question's made up. I don't have a lawn. I have a wildflower meadow. (laughs) She was just asking me mundane things. And I was like, I actually have to go because I have an interview with Billboard. (laughs) And she was like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so pretty unbelievable. (laughs) That's really all I have to say. (laughs) Unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. And so so I still wait tables. I feel like this is a good example of the response. I still wait tables. and I've probably had, at this point, it's been a month and a half, um, and I've had probably six different tables, especially at first, but like six different tables say like, hey, weird question, but are you the TikTok guy? Or are you the blue net guy? Or like, are you on TikTok? Or even then just straight up, like one person at the bar one day was like, this is going to sound so crazy, and I promise I'm not a creeper, but are you Chris Hausman? And the, this is me like, with a mask on and stuff, and I'm, you know, just, just eyes, <laughs> but, um, that's been pretty unreal, and, it, and, like, I, la- I, like, freaked out the first time it happened, but then, then, like, the sixth time it happened, it's, like, oh, like, this is a thing, <laughs> apparently, I don't know, but the, but the response, aside from that, though, my favorite thing, and we, we have, like, a group thread between the co-writers, um, Nell and Tommy and myself that we just have been sharing like oh my god look at this comment and like screenshots of the comments or the people's like duet things that they're doing on TikTok um has that's been my absolute favorite part um seeing like military vet women of color sing along with blue neck or seeing my favorite one that I keep referring back to there was this trans boy in Oklahoma singing blue neck with so much joy and i just like i cried for like a month i think i'm maybe finally done crying for now (laughs) like but every time i thought i was out of tears i would see another duet of something like that and just ball and like seeing so much joy and y'all kind of touched on this um like it's a heavy song but it's also very anthemic and there's a lot of joy in it and i think that is resonating with people of like, oh my God, this is a safe place and I can like celebrate being myself here. Yeah, it's, we, we talk a lot about representation, but it's, it, it's so powerful to see your, your views or, or your life reflected in a song in a space where there has been nothing in history to, to show that reflection of you. It's, it, you can, so I think, when you see that joy, I mean, you know how important it is that you put this out there and you gave them that moment to know that they're not alone and, and that they're, like you said, in a safe space now where they can they can share who they are 
authentically, that's a powerful thing. And in a positive way, because like you mentioned, Chris, I don't know, when I hear songs about women's equality and stuff, like I love a good ballad, but sometimes I'm like, yeah, but I want to feel empowered and not like I want to cry like on a Tuesday (laughs) afternoon, you know? And so to have a song that makes you feel heard and seen and also is something you can listen to when you're happy and joyous and being proud of who you are is a really special mix of all of the different areas and what it's like to be a human being. Um, That's the first thing I thought of when I saw, I saw your TikTok like the first couple days it was out, Chris. And then a week later, I think Nell posted about it. And I was like, Nell Maynard, I didn't know you were on this song because I saw it on TikTok randomly. And like the algorithm definitely knew that that was the content I wanted all the time. But it's so crazy to see that happen. Has How have you guys dealt with the TikTok thing? Not dealt with in a negative way, but it's its own really weird beast machine of a thing that is so random. And it also creates this really beautiful community. I actually had a few different people um, tell me they saw the song and were like, oh man, Nell would love that. Like, I should send that to her. And then and then Sami posts about it and we're like, wait a tick? You wrote that? Uh, which felt really beautiful to me. It makes me feel like I did my job of getting a lot of truth and a lot of, uh, yeah, honesty into the song. If people who know me and know the song were like, yes, I see a common element here. Nell is in this song. I'm going to show it to her. Well, turns out she literally was in the song. <laughs> So that's been insane. TikTok has a reach that I didn't understand. And I, I was on TikTok for like two weeks last summer. And then, you know, I, w- I was like, oh, I'm, people don't like me enough. So it got off. It was making me sad. And I was like, this, I don't need more of sadness in my life. Uh, and I resisted for like three weeks after you started going viral, Chris. Uh, I resisted looking at it. I would make my friends show me the numbers and make people send me the screenshots of good comments. But uh, then I broke down and re-downloaded TikTok just exclusively for, for Blue Neck, <laughs> just for you. Have there been negative comments? And how do you handle that? Very few. Um, I'd say it's like 0.1%. But the, the number one um, critique, though, or negative comment, I guess, is just like, people saying this isn't country and and I guess and I've really spent a lot of thought well probably more than I should be good anyway because I definitely have like I've honestly been looking for like okay what are people gonna say bad about this like um one thing one huge thing that I found is that any Anybody saying, like, this isn't country, okay, are they talking about the production? Because what's Dan and Shay? What is every other country song? Or are they talking about the message? Are they saying, are they, I, I, I think they're using the production as a scapegoat to say, this message is not country music because we don't say things like Black Lives Matter or I want to see the glass ceiling shadow or George Gay. People are, some people, though it's been very few, some people are so offended by George Strait or George Gay, there's no difference. They just don't. I love that line so much. (laughs) They just don't, and there's people that are like, how dare you say that about George Strait? 
And it's like, we just said his name. George Gay is a fictional character that exists in this song. I think it's so amazing. This just popped in my head as you were talking, but the fact that they're offended at that, but like all of the most country people that you can think of wore bedazzled jumpsuits and high-heeled boots. I just, the irony of that to me is so beautiful. And if that isn't a hundred percent poached from queer culture, oh yeah, then, exactly. My God. Yeah. And I saw that I saw a video on this yesterday. I wish I could remember where I saw it, but it was um, a behind the scenes of the design, the fashion designer that create started kind of that movement and started doing the the first couple um, costumes for Elvis and Jolly, like the super bedazzled his own. And now like Lil Nas X is wearing similar stuff and he's passed now. But the man who was the designer who did all that is an immigrant who came to the U.S. for a better life, was inspired. He was a fashion designer, couldn't make it like just the most beautiful story. So inspired by queer culture from an immigrant, just all of the things wearing high heel boots and rhinestones. It's amazing. amazing. I, wanna, I need to see that right now. We're talking to you guys about this amazing success that you've had and this journey and being so authentically yourselves. But I think it's also really important for listeners and other creatives um, to hear maybe the parts where you've struggled a little bit. For us, we've asked our guests a lot about you're in a, an amazing position now, or maybe you are still going through something, but what kind of discrimination have you experienced if you've experienced any? Because that can be, I think, really washed out of the narrative, especially with social media. Um, so I'm really curious to hear the experiences that you've had that have made you who you are and have made you so authentically able to share your voice. I would say, um, though my discrimination has mostly been self-inflicted, honestly, um, it, of just like, I, I haven't experienced overt, like blatant discrimination based on my sexuality. Um, but at the same time, why would I have like come to Nashville at 18 and felt comfortable to pursue country music as an openly gay person when I had never seen that before? Um, like it, it make it makes sense. Like, especially and, and granted, like I'm so proud of and, and thankful for the trailblazers, the Ty Herndons and TJ Osborne and Billy Gilman and that who have like come out later, but at the same time, they all had record deals. Most of them had their time and kind of came out later. So there has yet to be somebody kind of on the rise that's still independent doing this. Um, and, and, and an example of that though, outside of myself is that I went to this meeting and I'm, and it's a person that like, I love and respect their opinion so much, but I had this, at the time was a really big meeting a few years ago and I like came out in this meeting and I was like sweating pretty much but it was a a female that I felt comfortable like sharing that with and we were just kind of having a conversation it just kind of came up and and their like reaction was so supportive but at the same time like yeah but you don't have to like talk about that you don't have to like put that out there so and that just kind of supported my you know, what I had seen, like, it was a part of my personal life, but, but at the same time, like, when it came to social media, I was not posting authentically because I was high, I was watering that aspect of myself down. 
Um, and it just makes it hard to really say anything when you feel like, okay, so much of your life you can't say um, or like talk about. So, so that's been so. Yeah, you'd be self-editing constantly. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, great answer, Chris. Really interesting. I mean, we we are indoctrinated to become part of a machine that hates us, and then you do the hating yourself. So, it's very evil the whole process. But I have had a few instances of experiencing overt um, discrimination, negativity, heckling. Uh, I looked a lot gayer a few years ago. Uh, I had a mohawk, and there was a time I was bartending at CMA Fest. This has nothing to do with CMA Fest. It's just like a comment on who was flooding the streets of Nashville. And Nashville is a pretty safe place. I mean, I have like kissed girlfriends on the street and felt safe about it. Um, But yeah, I was yelled at by some guy leaning out of a car who just didn't like the way that I looked. He was like, we don't do that here. And I was like, are you even from here? Like, you're in a packed Uber on CMA. We, I'm pretty sure you don't live here. I do live here, and this is who I am, so we actually do do this here. Yeah, that was a bummer. But that is, um, you know, I say bummer and downplay it, but, like, I wrote pages and pages and pages about that when I got home. I was, I was so hurt, and I was so afraid. <laughs> um yeah, and I've I've had instances of going into rights where I didn't know if the artist was gay or gay friendly, and I've tried to look less gay because I think I'm going to scare people. Yeah. I really like, first of all, thank you both for sharing those things because everyone's experience is very different, and Victoria and I can interview people academically and talk as much as we want about trying to be allies but it does not even come close to having the actual experience of someone who walks in those shoes um and it's it's difficult sometimes to talk about that even when you have been open about it i know um for me i had an experience recently and i so i'm part filipino we talked about this a couple of times I do not, I'm very white, just very, very Caucasian, you know, the raising of it all. But it's something that is very close to me. And I recently was in a write with someone as their top liner with a couple other people. And they said some really, really racist stuff about Asian people. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I know they're looking at me, like seeing me be very white and saying that. And it's, even though I feel so comfortable standing up for that part of me and people in general it was really one of those instances where i was like oh i i definitely still have a little bit of work to do because i feel very like scared and uncomfortable talking about this and you got to pick your battles assumptions are a powerful thing aren't they that people assume and that's like what you were talking about now and you know like going in the room and and needing to come out over and over again to feel like you could be authentic and just to set the record straight because people just have these assumptions of of who you are based on what they're seeing. So that was just a very roundabout way of saying like, we appreciate you guys talking about that because it's it's one thing to live it in your life, but it's another thing to come out in a public way and have that in-depth discussion. And even if you're comfortable doing it, sometimes it, it feels different when you're on a podcast 
speaking into a microphone. So do you have any people in your careers, lives, etc., that have really been champions for you that you've been like, oh my God, I fucking love them and I would not be here without them? I feel like um, the, the first ones that came to my mind were Casey Musgraves, Shane McAnally. I feel like like Casey Musgraves, I remember where I was when I heard the line of her debut song, Merry Go Round. If you ain't got two kids by 21, you're probably going to die alone. At least that's what tradition told you. Like, I remember exactly where I was sitting. I could almost, like, say the date that I heard that line. And I was like, people don't say that in country music. People aren't a lot. It's so true, but, like... Oh, like, I so feel that, but why don't people say that? Like, we talk about being three chords in the truth, and uh, and we're, why is this so crazy to say? And I loved it, and I was obsessed with it, and then she kept doing that, and then I was digging in and seeing, oh, Shane McAnally, and then, oh, Shane McAnally is a gay man. Oh, Brandy Clark is a gay, is a queer woman. I yeah. was going to say, like, Brandy Clark, see, yeah. See, and that's, that's not, a, again, like, not a coincidence of these people willing to, and obviously Casey has just been a huge ally. I have, like, a follow your arrow, which the three of them wrote, uh, inspired tattoo. Um, so I think that they have, and they, they kind of, like, set this, precedent but then at the same time you see that oh Casey's not supported by country radio um but is supported by the Grammys and you know um but especially like seeing Shane in the background of that eventually over time definitely made me feel like oh I do have a voice so like I have a spot here at, at the table at the you know <laughs> nice love see it. what you did there <laughs> I feel like I want to shout out the people who have set me up on rights and who have um, believed in me with that with that action of saying, oh, right with these other people. Um, Bonnie Baker, Noreen Prunier, Nicolette McCann, Holly Chester. Big thanks to all of them. That's beautiful. Three, I, I was just thinking when you said three chords in the truth, I'm like, I feel like we're 2020 onward is going to be maybe four chords and the real truth. <laughs> it's a, it's act the actual truth. Maybe that's what we're going to see, the shift in country music. That's so funny you say that because we so debated on saying that in Blue Neck because there's actually four chords. But then Tommy was like, yeah, but one of the chords is like a... Yeah, he was like, if I invert it, then it's technically, it's technically the same just... chords. <laughs> so yeah. Nashville. And I was, I was like, Tommy, no one can hear that. <laughs> Well, let's let's move forward and we'll start our rapid fire questions. And um, okay, so um, now I'm going to ask you this one first. If you could ask God, the universe, higher power, a question, what would it be? I am going to give the most annoying answer. So for me, that truth is completely like within the realm of something I can access myself. So I feel like I can ask that question. And it's just a matter of centering myself and becoming quiet enough uh, to hear the truth of the answer. That is great. Chris, what about you? Oh, my turn. Oh my God. How do I follow that up? <laughs> this is so less beautiful 
so much less beautiful than what Nell just said. But I, I mean, are you gonna be like, why do men have nipples? <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all want to know? Great question. <laughs> That was no, that was number two, but <laughs> but my number one would just be like like aliens are real, right? And like how many how many of them are there? And out I don't know how many other planets have living creatures on them. I just want to know. I'm just so curious. All right, if you could clone yourself and live a different life, what would the other you want to be or do? Professional soccer player. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my god. I think professional football player. I yeah. <gasps> what? Just so which is so yeah. And so not gay of a well no soccer, I guess. Oh it's saying. very gay very of gay, me. Very Excuse gay, me. Very gay of you, very not gay. Very ungay of, of you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so um now what's one thing people don't know about you? Oh, uh, I have bad depression. She says with a smile, I, I love you. I was just going to say, I, I smile a lot and I, I'm like very extroverted. So I think, and when I'm well, I'm really well. So I think it's just easy not to know that uh, yeah, sometimes you cover I'm it up. very sick with depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've had a lot of conversations about that with guests on the podcast who've struggled with that. And, and it can go hand in hand with creativity, it seems sometimes too. Just... Hundred percent, and and from an outsider perspective, as a person that collaborates with Nell and so many other people in town, Nell has a reputation for just being like, "Oh my God, she's so joy, like so full of joy, and like she's so," and which is true, you know, that's also true. But like, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, my thing, also not as like <laughs> as beautiful of an answer. Um, I think that is that I'm a top one of the top five whistlers in the world. Not everybody knows that, and that's a I thing. saw that in your bio, and I was so curious. So that was you and not the Mockingbird earlier that was going crazy? That, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know what that means. Are you talking like normal whistling, just like like you enter whistle competitions, and you're like, yo, like melodic me whistling? whistling? It, it was, can, can you do a little bit? Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, definitely musical whistling i can't do like the bird things but there's some really great people that can but i did an international whistling competition in 2019 i went to california for it to pasadena um yeah my lips are a little bit dry so i'm gonna blame that but uh yeah let's do a little um Anyway, there's a little... Wow. Oh, no. Gorgeous. It's like Olympic was whistling. That, um, was that Alicia Keys? Yeah, it was. Ah. Name that too. Hey. hey. Some you people win. want it all, baby. Yes. Yeah. Wow. All right. Good job, Sarah. Gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I know that song. Um, what is your favorite thing about yourself? I actually have this answer ready because I'm a millennial and it's a common dating app question for your profile. <laughs> so... My answer is that I'm really good at making myself do things that I don't want to do that are good for me. Oh, that's awesome. I love that about myself. That's That was actually, I was journaling about that recently and ended up posting about it where I, I posted like, note to my younger self, if if there's one lesson I would like you to learn, 
It is that you should lean into the things that terrify you. <laughs> because by saying yes to things that you kind of want to say no and run screaming away from because you're scared that you won't be capable of doing them, you learn so much about yourself. And you once you get in those situations and you get through them and you rock them, which is usually what happens, or even if you don't, you come out the other side with this new appreciation for your strength and your capacity for doing more than you anticipated you ever could. So yeah, I love that answer. Oh, I love that. And I have a, this tattoo here is like a little boy sitting in a boat with a monster because I love the thought of sitting with your fears instead of running away from them. And that, yeah, to pee back on that. And now you're so good at, at that. Um, Thanks. My favorite thing um, I, jo- I jokingly told somebody or like made a tweet about like physical feature. My favorite quality is my nostrils. And I was really happy that like people could finally see them after the last year. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, f- finally people can see my nostrils. My beautiful They've nostrils. been missing out. Yeah. But <laughs> now that you but, say it, they really are just like shapely and amazing. They're so. round. Congrats. <laughs> and, <laughs> But but real answer to <laughs> quick, um, I don't know if y'all are Enneagram fans at all, but when, since um, discovering that, I like I used to feel like I had no backbone at all because I just was like, eh, I could be down with that or I could not. Whatever is cool. Um, and I'm an Enneagram nine of the peacemaker, and I've grown to love that about myself. I can make peace with anything in life, and and I think that's kind of like allowed me to have the story that I have. <laughs> Quickly, before we get to the last one, because we, in our first season, I think, asked this every time. So funny that you brought Enneagram up. We know yours. Nell, what's your Enneagram? I think I know what you're going to say. I think I'm a four, but also I have some three things. And I got one once. I don't even know what one is. See, okay. Vic? See, three. most We're of threes. our guests. Most of our, like statistically speaking, almost all of our guests have been threes. Yeah. And then wing two or four. So interesting. That's good to know. Go figure that the, the people that run a podcast are threes. <laughs> Go you figure. know. Right. We, we, like, we oh. are who we are. Um, all right. <laughs> <love> <laughs> the last <it>. question. <laughs> yeah, to the last question. All right. Now, what advice would you give to the younger you if you could go back in time and talk to her? It took me a long, long time to hear my heart. And I think it would have saved me a lot of torment if I had been able to hear it and understand that its message was weighty uh, younger. Because, I mean, the fact that I got all the way to medical school, which takes years and years of work, before I was honest with myself about not wanting to be a doctor, is really rough that is a really rough thing that I put myself through (laughs) and uh, same thing about being gay I would have known way younger if I had felt you know safe enough to listen to the parts of me that were talking so I guess it kind of harkens back to that first question about what would you ask a higher power my advice to little Nell is just to tune in because I already know everything ah I honestly would have just told younger Chris, like, keep it up, basically. Just like, you're doing great. (laughs) Like, keep doing, 
because it I I knew as far as like, I mean in other things of like, you know, you're not alone, like things like that coming into mind too. But I like, I knew that, but in the place that I grew up, I I knew that there was more to the world, and I honestly busted my ass from like middle or like elementary school because I was like I have to set myself up to a get out of here b experience the world and like and do these things but it's and I knew that it I'm like so impressed with how hard I worked at that time just because I was felt different and knew that I had there was more to the world so I think I would have I think I would just tell myself like yes you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do keep it up that's great well, thank you so much. You guys have been wonderful. Thanks for sharing your stories and histories and feelings. And um, I think it's going to be a powerful episode. So I'm excited to share it. To stay up to date on all things The Table on social media, join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at sign the table women. Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeFores, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth, and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any creatives, music, television, etc. referenced in this episode in the episode notes. We'll see you next time on The, the Table. Table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop.